filled with joy. And Lord, it's a, it's a circle that we can't quite understand and yet we experience it. And so I thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. And I ask you now to continue on with us. Help us to, um, to really lay aside um, any other distractions we have, any thoughts of what's going on at home, what's going on in other parts of our lives, Lord, but, but that you would just um, keep us here in the moment with you. And um, we would really hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I didn't read, there's a verse in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's really easy to remember, 29, 29, Deuteronomy. And it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. It's Moses talking to the Israelites as just before they're going into the promised land. And what he's saying is that God has revealed things that were otherwise secret. That's what a mystery is. A mystery is a secret that only God can reveal. It's a divine secret that God reveals. And um, I said at the end, towards the end, that um, we have been blessed with the knowing the mystery of his will. And that's what Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Um, and actually, if you went to Revelation, Revelation chapter 4, at the end of time, when things start to uh, finish, as God is intending to finish them, we're shown a glimpse into the heavenly places at, at, at a period of time that will mark the very end of the end. And what we hear in chapter 4 and chapter 5 are praises to God and to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. And at the end of chapter 4, in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created." So everything that exists and that has ever existed exists for God's will. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, actually. He says that it was all according to or in accordance with God's purpose and his plan and his will. So think about it. You and I, who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we have aligned ourselves with God's will before the end. So the end is coming and approaching really fast. And if you, if you study prophetic scripture, you know we are in the last of the last days, maybe in the last hours of the last days. And the, the, the end is coming really, really fast. But you and I can know that we are already in the center of God's plan and his purpose. We have already aligned ourselves with his will and his purpose. And if his aim is to bring everything into line with his purpose, we, you and I have a head start. We are already aligned with the purpose of God. And because of it, we, we can know so many things that we otherwise would not be able to understand. And when you think about where I'm going with this is, when you continue in um, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul gets to the end, he gets to verse 14, and he talks about um, receiving the sealing of the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our inheritance. And then he says in um, verse 15, because of this, I don't stop praying for you. 
I don't stop praying for you. Look what he says. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and it fills all in all if you had a doubt that everything is in Christ and for him and through him these verses just expel that doubt Everything is in Christ and for him and you and I have come into the purpose and the plan of God now before the, the culmination, the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. And the thing that amazes me about this is Paul writes to people who already believe. He writes to people that already believe and he tells them all those things that he surely told them when he was first with them. This is not a new teaching that Paul's come up with. He is the one who began the church in Ephesus. He is the one who would have already told them these things about themselves. And now he's telling them again. And that's why we go over it and over it and over it, because we need to know these things. And what Paul prays for them is an amazing prayer, because these people know God. And yet he prays that they might know him. Why? Why, if they already know him, does he spend six verses, sentences, saying, I'm praying that you will know him? We need to be reminded and... Yeah, what is the deepest need of every person and, every, and certainly every believer? What is... Hmm? To belong. Everybody's deepest need is to belong. And how does God say you belong? How does he make you belong? You believe, you believe, and he brings you into his family and does all those things. You're born again, you're adopted, all of those things. But God, Jesus, in John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that you might know God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. This is life, that you will know God. Now, do you really, really believe that? Because here in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm praying that you would know. I'm praying that you will know God, that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you will know, truly know God. Why do you need to know a God you already know? Because there's always more to know. Because there's always more to know. It, can you see what he means? Think about it in terms of life and experiencing life. When you were a baby, what was your experience of life? <laughs> eat, drink, cry, sleep. Eat, drink, cry, sleep. Right? Did you know you were eat, drink, cry, sleep? 
No, you didn't. You didn't know you were doing that. As you became a toddler, you knew a little bit more. As you became a grown-up, you knew a bit more. But Anna, for you to say that the deepest need of everybody is to belong, which is true, you know that you belong as an, and you need to belong as an adult. You don't really know that or can express that as a toddler or a baby. You don't know it then. The need is still there, but you didn't know it. So this is what God's telling us through his word. And this is why Paul's praying. I want you to know. I want you to know better than you know now. And I thank God that he prayed that. I thank God that that's what God prays for me. That's what the Holy Spirit prays in groans too deep to utter, Romans says. He prays that Anne will know God better than she knows him now. Why? Because knowing God is life. It's life. Knowing God is life. It doesn't mean just that you're going to have eternity. It means that you'll have life now. Now. That you'll experience life now. That you'll know that you know that you know that you belong. That you belong. And that you will always belong. Knowing God is eternal life. Knowing him more, it helps you to experience more of that life. And Paul doesn't just pray this once. He says, I do not cease praying for you. I mean, look around the room at the people you know and you came up, you, the people you came in with. Okay, honestly, commit to praying for that person or those people that they will grow in their knowledge of this God who has done everything that they could ever need, who has brought them into eternal life and who longs for them to know more and more of that life. I don't know enough of that life and neither do you. You don't know it. Because all too often, your every day deals with this, this, what we call life, down here on this planet, which is death. We live in a, in a, a sort of paradigm, trying to work out how do we live in the life that Christ has given us, whilst at the same time, our feet trudge through the death of this planet. And it's there, it's there that Paul, God through Paul writes into, it's in that place. This is what you need to know. And, and, and you need to know the gospel. You need to know the gospel. You know, you think you don't need the gospel anymore because you heard it and you believed. But you need to know the gospel. What is the gospel message? The gospel message is that you are an abject sinner dead in your sins. And God If God did not come for you, you would never have got to God. And you need to turn that over in your mind and think about the ramifications of it and understand that Jesus Christ came willingly for you. God took on flesh for me. And Paul will explain that in Ephesians and saying, and and he who gave his only son... Would he not more freely give you more, uh, give you everything else? That's a terrible paraphrase, but you know what I mean. How will he not freely in him give us all things? But you will have to lay hold of them. You will have to take hold of them. And that means a fight because everything in this world will pull you away from that. Because the enemy of your soul wants you to live a joyless, peaceless, 
graceless life. No, it's talking about something slightly different. But I suppose you could say it's conquering. But what you're doing is you're laying hold of something that God's already given you. And, and you know, we could have conversations. I could have conversations with every single person here. And you would say, you believe the gospel. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus. You'd say that to me. I believe. I believe I've been set free. I believe that, I believe that I'm no longer a sinner. I'm headed for eternal life. I'm in eternal life. You'd say all of those things. But there would be something in your life that you find really tough to believe. Because your mind is full of the lies and the deception. And it's there, isn't it? It's there. That's why Paul didn't stop praying for them. He knew that about them. He knew that about me. God knows it about you. There are things in your life that you find really hard to overcome with the truth. There are lies in your life that you find really difficult to fight. And though you believe, and though you have salvation, you live in a state of flux. One minute's fine, the next minute it's not. Yes. Exactly. It's, it is. It is. And actually, I would say, Diana, that that's how God has brought you into the maturity of the place that you're in now. The understanding that we need to pray this prayer for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in Christ every day. I need to pray that the eyes of my heart will be enlightened because I won't understand the reality of what I have in Christ, until God does that. See, he says, Paul says, for this reason I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I do not cease giving thanks and making mention for you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now think about all of that. Paul prayed that for these Christians. He prayed and he didn't stop praying it. So one thing Paul knew, only God can give you this. No amount of preaching, no amount of reading books, no amount of anything, no amount of fellowship or friendship or no amount of anything can give you this. Only God can give you this. Only God can give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Only God can open the eyes of your heart. Only God can do it. So if you're praying that for me, what you're praying is that God will do what only he can do. And you're asking for him to do it. 
to do it in your heart, to do it in my heart, to do it in everybody's heart in this room. Open the eyes of their understanding. Open the eyes of their heart so that they know. So that they know. And when you come into that knowledge, what will happen? You'll be hungry for more. You'll be hungry for more. You'll overcome that particular issue in your life and you'll find, oh, lo and behold, there were another two or three down there I hadn't even spotted yet. And you will be hungry for more and more and more of God. Why does God not clear out all the issues straight away? Because you can't handle it. And because, and because... He wants you to go along with him. That's true. He, does, he likes the cooperation. But also, if he cleared everything up in an instant, you'd go off and forget him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, just as they're going into the promised land, God says to them, watch yourselves. When you live in houses you didn't build and you reap crops you didn't sow, watch yourselves that you do not forget the God who brought you here. Human thinking as soon as everything's going all right in our life, who needs God? I mean, we don't, we don't say that. We still go to church and we still meet together and we still smile a lot and talk about Jesus, but we don't need him and we don't go into that place of prayer where we're praying for him to do what only he can do. And if we're not doing that, what's happening? Maybe. You're starving. You're starving. And you're opening up the door to everything else. If you're not praying, somebody else is at work. If you're not thinking about God and asking him to be more and more and more for you, then you are opening a door and letting the enemy come in and take what he wants. You are letting him put words into your mind. You are letting him put thoughts into your mind. If you're not opening up this word, because that's how God answers us and our prayers, if you're not opening up this word, you're letting someone else put words into your head. If you pray for what you can't get on your own and God does it, what happens? Oh my goodness. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because God's answered a prayer. He's answered it in a real way. You wanted to know more of him and he gave you more of him. And Paul makes the connection, doesn't he? He says that you will know, when you know these things, you'll know the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance in the saints and the surpassing great power that is at work towards those who believe. What's the hope of your calling? Christ, who said Christ in you? The hope of glory, yeah. Yeah, all those good scriptures. And what's the riches of your inheritance or his inheritance in the saints? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But we've already got those, so why is that my inheritance? Yeah, because it has already been fulfilled and it will more fully be fulfilled when we get there. Um, 
We live in increasingly difficult times. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says, in the last days there will be times of stress. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he'll say, avoid, holding to a form of godliness yet denying its power. Avoid such people as these. Avoid such people as these. We live in those days. What's the power that they're denying these holding to a form of religion or godliness but denying its power? What's the power that they're denying? Yeah, the power of that. What does that power do, Maureen? And? Yes, exactly, and? (laughs) And it enables you to live that way. The power of God enables you to live the way God wants you to live. And when you live the way God wants you to live, what happens? God is glorified and, oh wow, (laughs) exactly, oh wow, that's what happens. That's what happens. So a person who denies the power of God, denies the fact that God actually will do what he's promised to do, denies the power of God, denies the surpassing greatness of power, denies the fact that God wants you to know him and know him better and better and better. We do. We do. We do. That little word, just. We just forget. Yeah. Yeah. So how are we going to love Jesus in these difficult times? How are we going to love as Jesus loved? I mean, really, as the times get harder, how are we going to love as Jesus loved? How are you going to let your light shine so that people see your deeds and glorify God? How are you going to have the strength to endure? You're going to pray. You're going to pray that God will open the eyes of your understanding, that he will enlighten your mind, that he will do what only he can do. And how will he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And how will that work? Because it's not like hocus pocus. It's not... He'll do it through the word. He'll do it through the word. He will do it through the word. And every time you open a page of the Bible, what will you read? You'll read truth. Yes. What is that truth? What will that truth tell you? Yeah. The, actually, the word truth in the Old Testament mostly means faithfulness. So when it says God is truth, it means God is faithful. And when you think about that and think about how, how that works with truth, you realise that's what it means, that whatever something God says, he is faithful to do. And so um, truth is faithfulness. So, but when you read the Bible, what does the Bible tell you? I know it tells you loads of things, but what does it tell you in essence? Yeah. Who God is and it tells when you read the Bible it tells you who God is and who you are and how you can live together. That's what it tells you. In simple terms. This is who God is, this is who you are, this is how you live with him. Okay, so what's the middle one? This is who God is, this is who you are, this is how you live with him. What's the middle? Jesus. 
Christ is the middle. Everything is summed up in Christ. Everything is about Christ. All the blessings of God are found in Christ. Why? Because he's the middle. He's the bridge. Whatever word you want to put on it, he's it. He's it. When you open up the Bible, you'll read all these wonderful things and it will tell you how much God loves you and how much he's done and all of those things, but it will all be Christ. Now, why is that important in the days that we live in? Keeps us from deception also. I think about today. Think about today. You can talk about God wherever you want, but you can't talk about Jesus. Why? Why? Because there's the power of his name, because everything is summed up in Christ. So the world and our enemy, the devil, does not want people to know that. So if the world, if the times that we live in are getting darker and darker and darker, you can expect two things to be under attack. First, the name of Jesus. You will not be able to speak the name of Jesus openly. And we're already there. And you will not be able to read, talk about the Word of God who is Jesus. And we're already there. Yeah, we're not talking about what we do in it. We're just saying, this is where we are. This is where we are. So now, think about it, because it's a good point. We can only power on when God powers us up. And the way he powers us up is what? Through his word. All true, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, all of it wonderfully, wonderfully right answers, but it's all nothing if you don't believe it. If you don't believe the blessing of God in your life, you may as well not have it. If you don't believe that you are at peace with God, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you live in a, an area that's called peace with God. I keep looking at Anna. I don't mean to keep looking at you, Anna. Sorry, but you're in my direct line. And so whenever I look at you, I'm thinking of you saying belonging. If you don't believe that you belong with God, you may as well live on your own. If you don't believe that God wants you to enjoy him forever, you'll never come to him. If you don't believe some of these things, and to believe means to lay hold of it, you have to lay hold of it and you have to fight every day of your life to hold on to that truth. If the word receive means to seize or to take hold of, which it does in the New Testament, you can get an understanding of what it means to receive the truth for yourself. You have to seize it. You have to know that truth's for me and I'm having it. And I'm not going to stop until I've received more and more and more of it. What does God call that? Well, let, actually, let's go to Psalm 1. Just flip to Psalm 1 for a while. Um, Psalm 1. 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Um, Everywhere you read in scripture, you read that God wants to bless his people. He wants mankind, actually, to enjoy his blessings. And we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 1, every believer is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we're told in verse 18 of Ephesians that that includes the blessing of hope, confident expectation of what is going to come your way, and plus the riches of your inheritance and this surpassing great power. But as we've just talked about, many, many, many Christians do not enjoy their blessings in Christ. Why not? And I think Psalm 1 gives us some clues. What you see in this psalm, in those first opening verses, and really Psalm 1 is like the Bible in minuscule. If you read Psalm 1, you know the truth about the world you live in. Um, Who is the person who experiences the blessing of God, according to Psalm 1? Yeah, what does that mean? Well, you can't help it because they're all around you. But what does it actually mean? So, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does that mean? Doesn't, actually doesn't think what they think doesn't think. The counsel is like the advice. You don't think what they think. So blessed is the person who's made a choice not to think as the world thinks. Not to trust the world's philosophies. Right? Not to trust the world's wisdom or understanding. Now think about that. Take it one step further If you have decided not to trust the world's wisdom or the world's understanding or the world's philosophies and you've you've chosen not to uh, take any advice, what does that also include? Who does that also include? If you have decided, you want to be a person God blesses, Okay, now we know that that's in Christ, but let's just say we're in Psalm 1. We, we don't know that yet. So we're in Psalm 1, and we read that God blesses those who don't walk according to the counsel of the wicked, right? D- who don't follow their p- philosophies or their thinking or their wisdom. And you want to be that person, right? So what's the first thing you know? Well, maybe the second thing. You're not going to follow everybody else in the room. Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're not going to follow your own thinking because your own thinking is worldly because you're a human being and because human beings have human thoughts and human feelings. And so not only are you not going to walk in the counsel of everybody else, you're also not going to walk in your own counsel and your own wisdom and your own understanding and your own philosophies. What does that leave? God. It only leaves God's way and God's wisdom and God's word and his understanding. Can you see what I mean about the Bible? It's just like everywhere in the Bible, there it is. Mm. Yes. 
God is going to lead me sort of step by step. My, my brain and body knows how to walk. My brain and body already has a function. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to be sort of every second of my life. Should I pick my book up? God. No. No, but we're not talking about those sorts of things, are we? We're talking about philosophies and wisdom and thinking and assessments. So you're not going to assess things the way the world assesses them. So, for example, we know that God's way of thinking is that the, the least will be the greatest, that, that his perspective is upside down to a human. That's what he means. So it's like, it's, when we think about something... Exactly. Yes. Yes, you don't have to think about... Yes. But the brain that you... What is your brain? What's your brain? Yeah, so think about it in terms of... How could you picture your brain? Just It's something we have commonly now. What would be the brain? Computer. Your brain is a computer. How good's the computer? As good as the programmer, how good when you when you get when you buy the computer and Apple, of course, we've just bought Apple so much better. But no, so you buy your computer. Okay, let's say you go onto the internet. How good is what you read on the internet? It's as good as the person who put it in. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so okay, well, we are programmed. We are. No, hold on, hold on, let's not go too far. When we're born into the human race, we're born into um, a dead environment, dead because of sin, separated from God, separated from God. And everything in that environment is about the separation, not about God. So God has to insert himself into the separated environment because otherwise we could never know him. And so he did in Jesus. He came and he inserted himself into the dead environment so we could know him. And our brains were programmed, humanly speaking, to think the way the world thinks. And, and to a greater or lesser extent, depending on our personalities, depending on our home situation, depending on our educational abilities, all of that, we did what we did and what we didn't do. But when God comes and inserts reality, life, into that, we find, I used to think like this. Why did I think like that? That was so wrong. Because now I see how God thinks. Ah, programming doesn't change free will. Think about your brain as the computer. You have the choice whether to switch on. You have the choice whether to watch this, web, look at this website or that site. You have the choice to believe what you see on there or not. You have free will still to make the choice. You're talking as a Christian now. See, I, yeah, so, yeah. As a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, of course. Oh, yeah, come away from the computer analogy now. You have the Holy Spirit of God now as a believer in the Lord Jesus, definitely. But you still have your thinking that you had when you were not a believer. And to the extent that you lay hold of what God thinks, 
you change, you renew, you are transformed by the power of the Spirit, but that's what's happening. But if you, for example, decided, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I really don't care much about what he says, and, you know, I mean, I'm happy to go along as I am because I'm a pretty good person, you're never going to renew your mind. It's going to stay the same. You're going to find yourself reacting and responding the way the world reacts and responds because that's what you already do. See what I mean? Mm. Okay. I'll try to keep program out. <laughs> so, um, so think about it. You're not going to trust the world's philosophies. You're not going to trust your own philosophies because they come from an unbelieving state, a dead state. So you're only going to trust what God knows. How will you know what God tells you? You're going to read his word. So now you come up against things, and, he, and mostly you're going to come up with things, hopefully, as you, as you go along. You're going to be laying aside the old self, the sins and everything else. You're going to start finding yourself thinking differently. And it will be easy to think differently about everybody else. But to think differently about yourself. Oh my goodness, there it is. There's the hard thing. And in a way, as a blanket thinking, you can say, yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. But you live every day with the same old, same old, same old you. And it's hard to think about yourself as the new creation because all the evidence says the opposite. So what are you going to have to do? You're going to do Psalm 1 verse 2. By his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates on it day and night. You are going to think about God's word all the time. How's that going to happen? Reading it and? Meditating, thinking, day and night. Yeah. How easy is that? <laughs> yes. But how easy is it to train yourself to do those things? It's progressive, yeah. 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 Why do you need it? Why has that happened? How has that happened? God did it. God did it. Somewhere along the line, there was a prayer prayed for you that Francoise would know more of God. And that prayer has been answered. And you've found you need it more and more and more. You need to read more. You need to live in that environment more and more and more. Exactly. What does God call that? When you lay aside the kind of philosophies of the world and you try to think the way God wants you to think and you do that by reading the word and, and praying and having other people pray for you and all of those things, what does God call that? He calls it walking by the Spirit. He calls it walking with God. That's what that is. That's you saying, I don't know God well enough. If I walk with him for a while, I'll know him better. And deciding to do it. And as you walk with God, what will happen? You'll change. Why will you change? Well, you've got to talk to him to have a relationship. But yes, technically, Maureen, yes, you will. And what will that relationship do? 
walking in the truth instead of the lies, yeah? Imagine Jesus is right here with you and he's sitting next to you and he's going to walk out of the door with you and he's going to get in your car and go home. And then he's going to sit at home with you and share a meal with you and you're going to talk to him and, and then you're going to say, I'm a bit tired. I hope it's okay for me to be tired. I'm going to go to bed. But will you still be here in the morning? And he says, yes, I'm going to still be here in the morning. And so you go to bed and you sleep and you wake up and you remember, oh, he's in the living room. Right, down I go. And so you go down. What, what's going to happen to you as you do those things? Right, and? I mean, that's true, and that's a big one, but, you know, and? You're going to want to be with him more. Why? Because he's the best. Because he's the best. But you had to start. You had to start. And you had to decide you were going to do that. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. There's a choice that had to be made. You had to make a choice to do that. And then you had to make a choice. When Jesus was walking with you, you had to choose to listen to what he said. And then when you, he, you listened to what he said, you had to choose to believe it. Against all the opposing evidence in your mind, you had to choose to believe it. And when you did, you were made free. You were made free. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Can we just go to 1 John for a while? Because while we're walking like that in Psalm 1 and we're finding wonderfully within ourselves the desire to walk more like that and the desire to be all that God has called us to be, what happens at the same time is that we find that the everyday reality of life stirs up the old desires of our flesh and it brings a sort of tension. And in that tension, we often fall or slip or sin, whichever way you want to look at that. We often do that. And when we do that, we wonder about our relationship with God. Is it right? Is it real? Am I in the right place? What have I done? And um, knowing that you would feel that way, Jesus, who's walking with you, actually wrote through John to tell you about the time when you would be doing this and you would feel like that. Um, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so that our joy might be made complete. In his um, first kind of sentence, because this is more or less one long sentence, Paul, uh, John is writing that we will have fellowship with Jesus and with God the Father. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it means intimacy and communion. John wants you to have intimacy with God and communion with him. And he wants that 
because he had that. He had intimacy with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He walked with him and talked with him. He had communion with him. He had a relationship with him. And he wants all of us to have that relationship. And, and what he's going to write about here is how we have that fellowship, that relationship. And of course, that's exactly the same as Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is, blessed is the man who doesn't choose to walk in the path of the wicked. Blessed is the man who, who chooses to walk the way of God. And Paul says, I want you to know the surpassing great power so that you will know God and that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know him more than you know him now. And John will say, it's fellowship with God and with Jesus. And it all means the same thing. It all means I want, God wants you and I to know him and walk with him and receive from him in our everyday life. I you don't love it like I love it. I love the fact that it's the same thing on every page. In every way you could write it, he says the same thing. And sometimes I think when I'm, when I'm doing these days, I think, oh my goodness, they've all heard this a million times before and they look a bit sleepy. Maybe they are hungry or maybe they need a drink or, you know. But the, the thing is, then I have to remind myself because that's the enemy with me saying they've heard it all before and they're really bored, Anne, you know. I have to remind myself, but God wrote the same thing on every page. So he must know we need to be reminded on every page. This walking by the Spirit, which you know you hear about when you're first a Christian, you think, how on earth am I ever going to walk by the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, it means the same as don't go the way of the world. It means make choices. It means what John's going to write about. Have fellowship with God. Walk with him, talk with him, be with him. It means the same. It's the same thing. Go ahead. It's like arrows. <laughs> and I think that's what I'm supposed to do, actually, Francois. <laughs> Repeat the same things over and over and over again until finally I get them. Not you, me. Um, so, John wants us to have fellowship because he, want, he knows that in the fellowship we will actually receive, experience, lay hold of, seize the blessings that we already have in Christ Jesus. So look at how he's going to go on. Because he's going to say, he's going to sort of understand our question, how can I have this fellowship with God? And he's going to go on. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, 
we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The first answer to how we have the sort of fellowship with God that he's saying is that we walk in the light. God is light. We walk in light. If we walk in light, we'll have fellowship with him. If we have fellowship, we'll find we walk in the light. So that's what God means when he describes the Christian walk as a Christian life as a walk. If we walk with the Lord, we walk in the light and we live in the light and we experience the light. Um, why is that true? Because he is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who walks in me will not walk in darkness. So Jesus is the light. So if you walk with him, you walk in the light. And God is light and the world is darkness. And what were you before you came to the Lord? You were darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, and you were formerly darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. So you used to be darkness. You used to be adding to the darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. What happens when light enters darkness? It's not darkness anymore. If there's a light in the darkness, it's not dark anymore. So you are light in the Lord. Um, what does Paul, uh, John mean then when he says, if we walk in the light, he is in the light. And, and if we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we don't walk in the light. What does he, what's he, what does he mean by those verses? Right. S- sort of, yeah, sort of. What do you mean by that? Ah, mm, maybe. Right. Right. You have to pick sides. That's what I like, Anna. You have to pick sides. But we all picked a side. All of us who are believers have already picked a side. Remember, you're already light now. You're not darkness. You used to be darkness, but you're not darkness anymore. You're light. So what does Paul mean when he says this? Because he's trying to explain something to us that will help us when we start to look at our life and find we're not what we want to be. That's what he's trying to explain to us. When we don't do what we know we want to do, when our hearts are not where we want them to be, where life is not going the way we want it to go and it should go, where we're not being who we want to be, that's what he's trying to explain to us. So what does he mean? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. But I agree totally with what you've said, Maureen. But is he saying that every time you sin, you retreat into darkness? Why not? 
because you can't be darkness anymore. You are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Ephesians 5 verse 8, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So every sin that you do doesn't make you retreat into darkness. But what does it do? Okay, so, so how would John describe that? Because I think that's where we're getting to. Yeah, not walking in the light. No, we're just talking about a sin. Let's just talk about totally sin. Does, if, if when you sin, do you retreat into darkness? No, because you are light in the Lord. But when you sin, what happens? Well, just, just tell me how you feel. When you've sinned, you feel a loss and guilt. You feel guilt. And because you feel guilt, what else? You feel, who said separated? You feel separated from God. Yes. Are you separated from God? No. Why not? Because Christ made the bridge. You are no longer separated from God. Any of your sins cannot separate you from God. When, when you read in the Bible that God says your sins have separated you from me, that is Old Testament. That is people who have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. You are now and forever in God, in Christ Jesus. You cannot be separated from God, but you can be, exist in a sort of state of separated fellowship or broken fellowship. You see, that's the thing. So now he will say to you, your sins have separated you from God. Call yourself a Christian. Exactly, all of those things. Your sins. And he'll quote scripture to tell you that actually you're now separated from God. So what is necessary for each of us? You have to know the word of God, but you have to know it more than just being able to recite a verse because Satan will recite the verse. Your, your sins have separated you from God. Is it good that we pray as well if we have sinned and we say to God, I've just done this and I'm really sorry. And... That's definitely not good, Juliet. <laughs> of course, of course. That's the perfect answer. That's John's answer. That's what he's saying. What he's trying to get us to understand is, your heart is for God, isn't it? Isn't it for God? If your heart is not for God, you know it's not for God. And if, if you're living in constant sin and you don't care about it, well, I'm sorry, you're not a believer. You're not. Because a believer cannot live in constant sin and not be worried about it. So if you're like that, this is not for you. First John is not for you. The gospel's for you. But if you are in Christ and you've sinned and you're thinking to yourself, I'm separated from God, I've got to claw my way back to him. What God wants us to know is you cannot be separated from me because Christ has brought you home. But you cannot experience the blessings of the, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because what you have done is kind of put your hands up to the fellowship. So what's John's answer? Juliet's already given it to us, but in the scripture, what is it? 
If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to purify you from all unrighteousness. So God promises forgiveness, and then what will he do? Restore you. Yeah, restore you. But in, just in the sentence itself, he will forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? Don't worry, that's not a fire alarm. It's just they're closing the shop. What does that mean? That he'll purify you from all unrighteousness. Yes, and? And? All true? No, no, don't. That's true. But and? You see, God, he, you're going to confess a sin and you're going to say, I'm so sorry I did that. I really, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did it. So, you know, I'm really, really sorry, Lord. And I, I know it's sin and I'm not going to do it again. With your strength and your power, I won't do that again. And, and God's saying, you're forgiven in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. And actually, there's a whole load of stuff that you don't see yet. And I'm busy purifying you from that too. I'm busy changing your character, purifying the whole of you. Not just that sin. Not just that one sin that you recognized and you asked for forgiveness for, although that's important. But that you know that there is this purification process going on. Why is that going on? Yes, and... Yeah, there's lots of sins we haven't brought before him. We probably don't even recognize some of them. And because he's promised that we will be conformed, transformed into the image of his son. And so he is at all times, in all ways, purifying us from all unrighteousness. That's too big to understand. Go ahead, Jane. Yes. Yes. Trying to get us to lunch quickly, Jane. <laughs> of course, it's of course, it's wonderful. Right, right. But 
Yes, thank you. So now you can't speak again, Jane, otherwise I'll have nothing to say all day. So um, I'm only kidding. But so now I really want us to think about it because John's writing about people who think they can keep on sinning and it doesn't matter. That's what he's writing about, actually. He's, talk, he's talking about people who think that they're saved when they're not because they're just living in sin. But at the same time, he's trying to assure us, those of us who, who really have believed and who have a desire to live for God, that even when we don't, we are not out of salvation or out of fellowship. And that is so important, not just because we still sin, but because the closer we get to God, the more we see our sin. And so actually... What is happening at the same time as we are being forgiven for sins that we... We're we're forgiven for everything. God is bringing them to our attention. We're confessing them. And as we're doing that, we are walking with God and we are getting closer and closer and closer with God. We are knowing him more and experiencing him more. But as that happens, we see every speck of dust, every bit of dirt in our life becomes more and more evident because we're getting closer and closer to the light. So now imagine what a field day the enemy can have and all our worldly thoughts can have because actually what's happening is the closer we get to God, the more we're thinking we're further back than we ever were. So Think about that in terms of how will that affect your experience or your laying hold of the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. Because what will happen is you'll start to want to not get closer to God because you don't want to be aware of all the stuff and the muck in your life. And you'll start to stand still or move backwards. You won't choose that, but it will happen because you'll start to believe that this is just not working. I mean, I thought I was supposed to be going on with the Lord. I, was supposed to, I thought I was supposed to be more righteous, more spiritual. But actually, all I can see is more Mark. You know, I've been a Christian 25 years, what, and I'm still here? I should be much further along. And that's the problem. And that's the thing that John wants to tell you about. It's possible to walk with Jesus every day of your life. It's possible to be close in fellowship with him and still have muck in whatever shape or form. Can I just mm. Yeah. 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 Okay, the answer to that is um, that if it bothers you that you're sinning, that you still have this mark, you're saved. It wouldn't bother you if you didn't have it. The people that John's writing about here are people who are not bothered about their sin. If you're, if you're bothered about your sin, I mean, as far as I'm able to say, you know, because I'm not God, I would say that you are definitely saved. And 
you cannot lose something that you didn't give. You, God gave you salvation. And, and he says he's faithful to take those he saved to the end. Exactly. I cause all things to work together for good for those who love me and accord according to my purpose. Mm. But, but, if you're not bothered about sin, and if you hear any of this stuff and you read this stuff and it actually doesn't have any impression on you at all, and you think, I'm quite happy to carry on the way I'm carrying on because I think I'm good enough, then you're probably not saved. You're deceived or you're not saved. You know, I, I've, you know many times I've said to you, I, I drank for 10 years after I was saved. You know, I drank too much too often for 10 years after I was saved. And I knew God was saying, stop drinking. But I didn't. And the one thing in my journal over and over and over and over again is, am I really saved? Why? Because that's, sin will do that to you. It will strip you of your assurance of God and your assurance of salvation because you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing and so you come back to, well, then maybe I'm not even saved in the first place. But now when I look back at my journals and I see what God did, I think, wow. You know. He did it for me, but he took me along for the ride. <laughs> he did it for me, but he, I had to go along. And, and I know that I was saved even before I stopped drinking because it bothered me that I was drinking. It bothered me that I walked in sin. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. 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 Me too, me too. Thank you, Angela. Me too. So, um, so if we confess our sins, as Angela says, just read again, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And remember, the basis of your fellowship with God, as I've just seen my note, come back to my notes, the basis of our fellowship with God is not our sinlessness. It's his faithfulness. Yeah. You will never stop sinning. You will never stop sinning. The day before you die, you'll probably sin. That's the reality. Because we have a human nature that is, is dealt with, but still not gone away. And the, this life is the battle that we're fighting. And that's why it's hard to believe that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because our human nature is still so strong. That's why we need this weapon. Sinlessness is his faithfulness and his forgiveness. Is his forgiveness or and his faithfulness? I think the illustration you've given, we're actually changing form because we were in a sin state. Yeah. Going back to 
Yeah. Yeah. And then the ones we have that sacrifice of Jesus and the blood he shed Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Or will do. Mm. Exactly. No. How many butterflies do you know that go back to being caterpillars? None. It's a complete change. You cannot go back. Um, but remembering all of this stuff is important because, you know, just before we go to lunch, we're, we're called to live lives for the glory of God. We're called to exhibit joy and peace and uh, truth and grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're called to that. And we're called to believe that those things are ours in Christ. And we're told that when we believe it and receive it for ourselves, we are actually glorifying God and witnessing to the truth of who Jesus is. So it's important that all of these things, basic things in our salvation and in our lives, we understand that that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That we cannot be separated from God that he will not allow that separation. And that no matter what we're hearing and thinking, the truth is the truth. If you have put your trust in Christ, you are his eternally. And what he is about in our everyday life is us coming into the understanding of all that that means. Because the more we understand it, the more we live it out the more we understand the greatness of our God, the more we are able to pick ourselves up and start all over again. Only the person who wants to live in darkness will make an excuse for sin. So, the result then of it all, Psalm 1, back to Psalm 1, We're we're trusting God. We're on a journey with him. We know that we've chosen the right way. We are determined to make choices, to build our faith, to, to help us to know God more. We understand that though we know him, we don't know him well enough, all of those things. We've decided that our delight will be in the word of the Lord and in his word we're going to meditate day and night. What are we going to be like? We will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever we do, we prosper. We will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Did the tree plant itself? No. Who planted the tree? God. And where did he plant us? In Christ Jesus, by streams of living water. Remember Jesus, from their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And what will happen? Your leaf will not wither. And you'll yield fruit in season. And in whatever you do, 
you will prosper. Does that mean you're going to be rich for, you know, mean you're going to do really well in your job, become managing director of whatever company you're in? No. Why not? <laughs> of course, but, but what's this psalm about, actually? It's spiritual. He's talking about spiritual blessings. We know that because he's talking about our delight is in the law of the Lord. We're meditating day and night in his word. So the, what the outcome will be is that we will be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, whatever we do, we will prosper. So... Speak for yourself, Kate. <laughs> so I've got a little paragraph at the end. We can't end there just before we go to lunch. That this is the life that's available to us. You know, everything we've talked about this morning, which I know has been going over things that we already knew, this is what God has made available to us. And he says it's there for you. It's for you to receive it, to take hold of it. And when you do, he promises a glorious assurance. And, and, and John, when he writes, and Peter, when he writes, and Paul, they can hardly keep in the joy of it. Paul, who will say, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can ask or think, to him be the glory. It's when they wrote this down, they could not contain it. Peter, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So, Father, I want to experience that life. And I think we all do. We want to experience that life. So, Lord, I pray for what I cannot do. And I pray that you would do what we cannot do. That you would draw us into a closer real relationship with you Lord that it would be every day moment by moment that you would bring into our minds thoughts of you that we'll, we'll be walking along and be amazed that suddenly we're thinking about you and Lord I pray that you would help us to turn those thoughts into experiences actually that we make choices based on what we know about you and that we grow in our knowledge of you and that we we really start to enjoy enjoy the spiritual blessings that are already ours in Christ so that we do live a life that brings you glory and that witnesses to the people around us that that Jesus is real that he's alive and that he's alive in me and alive in us. So I thank you for this morning, Lord. I pray that now as we go to lunch and start to chat and think about, maybe think about what we've talked about this morning, that you would order our conversations and our thinking, Lord, that we would uh, determine to honour you and that in the same way as this morning was meant to go up as a sweet, fragrant aroma to you, that our conversation over lunch will be the same thing, that you will be pleased with the offering. In Jesus' name, amen.